0: Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: We would like to start off our show by acknowledging the Bear people the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We would like to pay our respects to their Elders past, present and emerging. Excuse me, I have something to say. This is the podcast where we have real and open conversations with everyday people, professionals and public figures who all have something to say. I'm your host, Sean Phillip Mailer, and... You can join me every fortnight as we dig a little bit deeper into our shared human experience. You can join in on our conversations by heading over to the show's official pages and sending me a DM. You can share with me your own experiences, opinions, and feedback on the show over on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at excuse me underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook if you search excuse me I have something to say or through our official website, excusemeIHaveSomethingToSay.com. And don't forget that you can rate and leave a review of the show, which is going to help our conversations reach a wider audience. And remember to share, like, and subscribe so that you never have to miss a show. hi guys welcome back to the show thank you for stopping by now you guys know the drill don't forget to like follow review and share the show we're going to jump right back into this episode this week as it's part two of our history of drag special with the always hilarious microphone. previously on excuse me you may remember that we started to untuck our drag journey in ancient egypt where Egyptian queens would dress more masculine in order to rule. We then jumped across to Ancient Greece, where we witnessed the birth of the early theatre scene, where men would perform the feminine roles. This practice continued all the way through the Middle Ages across Europe, where the Christian church continued the tradition of banning women on stage. In 17th century Japan, the art of kabuki was being celebrated, whereas in England and Europe, Shakespeare was putting on plays with men in all the roles. They were dragging their dresses around and coined the term drag from being dressed as a girl. In the 20s, we were introduced to vaudeville and Julian L. Tinge. In 1920 to 1933 in the U.S., it was the Prohibition era which illegalized alcohol and forced people underground where they celebrated queer art and culture on the down low. After World War II and in the 50s, we saw the Age of Conformity. This was a more conservative, family-oriented, heteronormative narrative, that's a tongue twister, which was villainizing queer culture. The 60s saw female impersonation take on a more comedic edge, With the likes of the movie Some Like It Hot and on TV we had Australia's own Dame Edna Everidge. Queens of the 60s were also at odds with each other and racial tension was very much present as witnessed in the documentary film The Queen. When a major drag beauty pageant passed over African-American Crystal LaBeija for the Caucasian blonde drag queen Harlow. LaBeija stormed off the stage and passionately denounced the scene's perverse habit of rewarding white queens at the expense of queens of colour. So, Maya, we actually covered a lot on the last episode before the wine took hold of our souls and things went uh, rapidly downhill. So well, look, I can
2: I can never I can I can only apologize and also at the same time not apologize because it was a good time. We had a good time. I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy listening and watching. Yeah, look. We we get derailed and it wasn't our fault though. There was there was some technical difficulties that caused us both to drink heavily in between. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh but yeah we did cover uh, quite a bit. We really did. And like it's really just the uh the tip of the iceberg so to speak. So That's it. Mm, just the tip. Picking up where we left off, it was the late 60s in New York and oddly enough, it was the New York mafia who would covertly give the drag queens and the gay community an outlet. By purchasing the Stonewall Inn which would then become a hub for gay culture so
2: Um, for those that don't know what Stonewall was it was shame
0: shame shame on you
2: people died um
0: no no one died at
2: Stonewall (laughs) oh have you not seen that clip so there's a whole bunch of drag race it was
0: drag race wasn't
2: it well it wasn't drag race but it was a whole bunch of drag race queens Uh, that were talking about Stonewall and Derek Barry is going oh people died at Stonewall and Willem goes no one died at Stonewall (laughs) Anyway, Stonewall was a safe haven for the queer community to come and live life freely. The unfortunate thing was, even though it was classed as like a speakeasy, you know, like underground, the police still knew all about it. They would raid it constantly and arrest people for not only acts of homosexuality, but for dressing in either drag or being an open transgendered person back then. Because back in those days, you had to have... a I really should have researched this properly before, but I'm fairly certain you had to have three articles of your assigned gender's clothing on at all times. Any less than, you could be arrested. So the police used to constantly raid Stonewall because it was easy arrests for them. Mm-hmm. And because back then, I mean, it still is now, but we'll touch on more of that when we get to it. But because religion still played such a big part in how the rest of society would view homosexuality and drag as a whole... The police used to constantly target it because it was it was the thing. It was the easiest way. So Stonewall became such a safe haven at the same time. You'd be constantly living in fear of going, when's the next raid going to happen? Yeah. And it eventually got to a point where the queer community had had enough. They were done. They were sick of constantly being attacked and being persecuted So this is where the Stonewall riot came in. Yes. So the police were doing another raid. The queer community that was in the building and around in the general vicinity all took to the street and were barricading and just being like, we're not doing this anymore. And it was actually a drag queen who is also a transgender activist, Marsha P. Johnson, who threw the first brick to symbolize the we're done. We are not taking any more of your shit.
0: And Marsha P. Johnson, absolute legend. Um, Oh, absolutely. Has been affectionately known as the Rosa Parks of the LGBTQ movement, uh, galvanizing the community against their oppressors and leading to the creation of the Gay Liberation Front. Like, that is huge.
2: Oh, absolutely. It took took someone so self-assured in themselves for living life as not only a transgendered person at that time. But as a drag performer and a person of color, that too, yes. Like she was a trifecta. She was like the three minorities rolled into one. And it took her to be like, you know what? No, we're not playing your games anymore. We're not allowing you to vilify and chastise us any longer.
0: Obviously, our very own Rosa Parks, Miss Marsha P. Johnson, threw that first, uh, first brick, the first stone, as it were, at Stonewall one year after the riots at Stonewall, we witnessed the first ever gay pride event. And this is what everybody has been celebrating this month. It is today, as we record this, is, is the 28th of June. It's We're wrapping up Pride Month and we would not have Pride Month as it is if it wasn't for the events at Stonewall
2: correct like pride started out as a protest march so the pride that we know and love today is very much a celebration of queer culture whereas the pride march originally started back then in the late late 60s was done as a protest because of the events that happened at the Stonewall. the queer community took to the streets and were like this is us now showing that we are here don't quote me on this but i'm Fairly certain around that time was when the phrase we're here, we're queer, get used to it, was coined as well.
0: This is what I Um, believe to be true.
2: So all it took was a drag queen to throw a brick and start a movement that has change the world for the better. If it wasn't for someone of like Marsha P. Johnson, drag as what we know today would not be a thing. We can stem everything that is drag related to this day back to what happens back then. Like there with no Marsha P. Johnson, there would be no Dame Edna. There would be no Priscilla. There'd be no RuPaul. Like,
0: there would there be would no be... representation in the mainstream. No. That fight that needed to happen wouldn't wouldn't have no. happened. Not in that way, not in the way that it did, but not in the way that history has recorded it to have done. No,
2: we would be getting a whole different, a whole different state these days if those those riots and those protests didn't happen. Were they a good thing? Absolutely not. Did they cause a good thing to grow from it? Yes.
0: Exactly. And that's a nice sort of segue into the fact that after witnessing the the Stonewall riot inspired by what happened in New York, activists in other cities all over America organized their own gay pride celebrations which would eventually inspire similar pride events around the globe so it really like
2: our very own Mardi Gras
0: like our very own Mardi Gras which was founded by the 79ers I believe they or, were the
2: were... 79ers or the 76ers oh it could be 76ers I can't yeah I yeah I, can't, I know it was the late 70s I can't remember 76 or 79 but yeah it was only not even 10 years after Stonewall that we had our own movement here in Australia with the first ever Mardi Gras and now Mardi is one of the world's biggest pride events here in little old australia here
0: in little old south of south of the equator this is how we do it the fight for acceptance and equality continued to grow throughout the 70s with Harvey Milk becoming the first openly gay man to be voted into public office in San Francisco in 1977. Now, I will just say I'm having a flashback to last time we recorded after the technical difficulties and we came back very drunk. I do remember quite specifically, because I've seen it, a moment where I say to you, quite frankly, have you seen Milk with Sean Penn? And I said, no. And I was also like, yeah, no, me neither. So with that... (laughs)
2: okay I was like I'm trying to remember that scenario right now so I'm like no I vaguely remember that and I said no and you're like oh no no neither have I
0: yeah so neither of us have seen it
2: I mean I really doesn't
0: mean we don't appreciate it
2: no not at all like I really should go back and watch a lot of these gay historical movies I'm gonna say movies because it's not a documentary it's obviously a movie
0: yeah I mean Um, Sean Penn playing here we go it's a a straight actor playing a gay activist
2: well is he straight I mean he fucked Madonna and she's 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 a a gay icon so
0: I mean Surely he's a bit gayer for it.
2: Yeah, see, I I really need to brush up on my gay history from that era. I know about and I should appreciate more the history I, from what we come from, but yeah. I just I haven't had a chance. And I know that sounds like a cop out, but
0: Well, I think, yeah, I was born in eighty five and the Harvey milk becoming you know, getting elected into public office in San Francisco was in nineteen seventy seven. That's the year my husband was born. And not to sound daddy. not to sound kind of arrogant and like you say self-righteous but it was it was before my time and it wasn't really something that I remember ever being spoken of Mm -hmm. or even in the media in Australia or the UK because I obviously grew up between both
2: and see I I think a big thing for that though is because gay and queer culture is not taught in school no and it should be but we could we could easily sit here and rattle off a whole bunch of boring straight history from around the same time that we were all taught and we all drilled into us and going yep this is what happened yep we could all rattle off that bullshit but queer history and queer culture is not taught in school so therefore as fledgling baby gays growing up especially too when you're still growing up as in the area that we grew up in in the mm-hmm. closet when you're growing up with no knowledge of the world that you're about to come into because it's still deemed as taboo and inappropriate and you can't can't be talking about they can't be learning about that shit we have to find it ourselves and depending on where you live in the world and what your accessibility to resources are you're very limited in what you can divulge into in our history Mm -hmm. and
0: i was in in western australia and you were like in bumfuck nowhere (laughs) what chance did we have we weren't we weren't in new york being taught about stonewall and all of the things no no like i didn't even know another gay person like in Forever. Well, I mean, like, I knew
2: one in high school, only because he was out in a raging homo, but I was still not sure as to what I was back then. And, like, it, it's so confronting when you don't know and... You're still being told that that thing you possibly might be is so wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but just while I'm on this little tangent, like drag for me was very much a no, like a non. Like drag queen was seen as a joke, as a mockery. Like I remember the first ever drag queen I saw on television was RuPaul, and that was in the very Brady Bunch movies when she played Jan's oh honey, you're
0: such a baby.
2: So that was my very <laughs> first experience of a drag queen. Oh, sorry, no, Dame Edna, but I didn't know Dame Edna was a drag queen. I just. Yeah. Damanda was an old woman. Yeah, I mean, she still is and was and will always be a random old bitter woman. We don't talk about old mate who plays her. He's very much cancelled.
0: Don't worry, we covered that
2: in part one. Oh fuck, we did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like RuPaul was my first ever experience in with a drag queen and it was still seen as a joke and then you never saw drag queens on television anytime you saw any sort of semblance of drag was straight men like chucking on a dress and a ratty wig and like doing some sort of shitty routine like drag was not seen as anything glamorous or an art form until now recently so us growing up we came I'm not saying we came from a harder time because I mean all the ones coming from before had a lot harder time Mm -hmm. but as the generations have gone on it's become easier and easier to have accessibility to queer culture to queer history to anything that's related to the queer community
0: definitely Benny and I talk about this all the time in the fact that as I mentioned he was born in 77 I was born in 85 and between the two of us there's quite it's like an eight-year age gap or whatever it is and we'll often have conversations when we watch queer content on TV and say, Gosh, I wish there was this much visibility when we were oh. younger.
2: 100% can you imagine how much different society especially of our generation would be these days if we got to grow up seeing all the stuff that these kids are seeing now mm-hmm. like if we had our love simons if we had our queerest folks if we had our drag race if we had our gay characters and stuff like gossip girl and can't remember anything else well, right now practically it's, it's every,
0: every show that's on tv now has, yeah, has our, representation or, somewhere
2: or our will and graces like if we if we had that sort of representation back when we were growing up and we were we were allowed to think that it was normal, which it is an acceptable part of society, our generation and the queer community itself would be a hell of a lot different these days. Mm-hmm. But even more so if it was before us, if gay was never seen as a bad thing and was allowed to flourish and grow, our community as a whole would be vastly different these days. It's
0: like the, the argument or the, the comment, we've always been there. Like just going mm-hmm. through this drag history with you. We're not talking about gay people. You don't have to be gay to do drag. And
2: yeah, mm, I I agree <laughs> and disagree with that. I mean, you don't have to be gay to do drag, 100%. But it is so enveloped in queer history and queer yes. culture that if you're coming from a straight perspective, there are nuances and details and things that relate to drag that you cannot, I want to say sympathize, but I think it's more empathize. empathize. Yeah. Yeah. Empathize with with because drag was always seen as a protest drag was always seen as a fuck gendered gender type casting fuck all of that sort of stuff
0: we had harvey milk in 77 real life story we're not talking about the Sean Penn movie the real life harvey milk who became elected sorry who was elected into public office in san francisco in 77 drag Can i make culture. a really bad
2: joke here please yes just a really really bad joke i haven't yeah. seen Har- i haven't seen milk yet the movie because i'm lactose intolerant <laughs> this
0: is a terrible joke <laughs> i said <laughs> it was a bad joke <laughs> it's terrible Uh, Okay, so drag culture was slowly sliding into the mainstream society with incredible drag performances like that of Tim Curry in 1975's Rocky Horror Picture Show and the gender-bending aesthetic of the incomparable Mr. David Bowie.
2: The good thing with Rocky Horror is you had Tim Curry who correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure he is a member of the queer community
0: Um, He was rumoured to be after the Rocky Horror but he has said he is not It isn't wrong to wonder, he is an icon and I can imagine kids who identify in the community would want to know does his status change how people treat him or should treat him No, it should not. That is from Um, it's on a website called quora.com and that is a comment from Donna Mixon so I don't know who Donna Mixon is Uh, I'm hoping she has her information correct if she doesn't and Tim Curry should you be listening to this and you want to reach out (laughs) you go girl we go
2: okay no now now that you mentioned that yes that actually does sound familiar I do know that the creator of Rocky Horror the guy that plays Riff Raff in the movie is actually queer. Um so he is gay and he wrote the he wrote the movie. Well he originally wrote this play because it's originally a broad well not Broadway but it's originally a theatrical play mm-hmm. that was then turned into a movie that was then readapted to the stage. So I know that he originally wrote it. There's also a sequel to it that was
0: really bad. What? Had Have I you noticed?
2: seen the sequel? Oh Anyone we know? No, there is literally not like Michelle
0: Pfeiffer pulling out a grease two moment.
2: No, 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 no. So like the all of the characters are recast with unknowns. So like Brad and Janet are back, but cast but, but played by complete unknown actors the movie was panned I, Oh, what's it called something to do with lipstick it was called lipstick shock treatment oh shock that treatment ring about? that's right yes, yes 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 shock treatment yes because it's something to do with a game show that Brad and Jana end up going on from memory I mean we'll google this later but yeah so we'll put, sure we'll put links
0: memory. in you guys can go watch it
2: something to do with a game show that they end up going on it's still got ties to the original Rocky Horror but very loosely it's just it's bad um, but yeah Rocky Horror was originally panned like it was deemed as offensive inappropriate at the time members like Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon. I think they were the only two really big names in the cast at the mm. time. Well, Susan Sarandon was still an up and coming actress. She wasn't even a well known name at that point in time. They almost had their careers ruined in Hollywood based on this movie. Um, and it wasn't until years later that it got cult status by then being shown at midnight screenings in the theatres, where all of a sudden it became an interactive experience where we had members of the queer community going to these sorts of screenings because they felt. It was a good representation of us as a people of being ostracized and excluded and trying to fit in with the normal society. You had queer, queer people that were dressing up in drag going we as We love your, to dress up. Yeah, as your Columbias, your Magentas, your Janets. So they'd have people from the audience portraying the cast members and acting out the movie up in front of everyone while the movie's playing. And you'd have usually drag performers portraying the female roles because it became such a cult thing and such an iconic thing for you to go to one of these midnight screenings and be a part of the live cast.
0: I love it. I love it. love it. It was also um, I mentioned before that in 75, the world was also getting to know David Bowie and his sort of gender bending aesthetic, like the makeup, yes. the clothes,
2: It's ironic when you get, especially your older community, your older straight community, that sit there and say, oh, we didn't have any of that back in my day. Um, David (laughs) Bowie, Grace Jones, Freddie Mercury. Like, you had a ton of these visibly queer artists. I mean, granted, yes, David Bowie never once acknowledged his sexuality back then. He was just androgynous and gender-bending and doing all this sort of stuff. And it was classed as just rock and roll. Mm -hmm. But he was quite obviously a queer artist artist in a very mainstream, mainstream focal position that was shining a light on essentially the art of drag because what david bowie was doing was drag
0: uh it was around this time around late 70s mid to late 70s that drag pageants miss microphone i feel like you're going to be all into this drag pageants evolved into drag balls and these iconic underground events would go on to feature in something we mentioned in the first half it is the 1990s documentary paris is burning the balls became No, no, no! (laughs) You've seen the trailer. The balls. (laughs) The balls became a place, namely for queer people of color, to walk the runway, emulating parts of mainstream society of which they were still largely excluded from. So you seemed really excited in part one when we were talking about Paris is burning. So go for gold! Tell Tell everyone!
2: Oh, because I absolutely. Like Paris is Burning is one of my favorite things to watch of all time because it's just such a unfiltered, unrefined, raw grass on the queer landscape of the time. And balls were such a—they were an underground thing, but they were a massive thing in our community. You had to be invited to a ball; you couldn't just attend. You were not allowed to just show up and go. You had to be invited to attend a ball, and it was even more exclusive to be one of the ones participating in the ball. So you had legendary drag houses. So you had your houses, which were. Essentially, a family. They're a close knit group that you had a mother and a father of the house that would take fledging gays under their wings and essentially nurture them and help them grow within the community.
0: So, I know about drag mothers because you explained that in season one when you came on, and I just learned about it. And you were like, Yeah, this is what drag mothers are. Who's the drag father? Does he pay child support? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh no no. So there's no There's no drag father But in the ball scene There is a house father They're not So usually the house mother And the house father Are not a couple They're just the appointees That run the house So your house father Is generally just a queer male Doesn't necessarily do drag Your house mother Can either be a drag queen Or a transgender person But your drag father Is usually just a Homosexual male Who would be There to help Nurture and grow Your young Fledgling gays So you had I want to say Benny ninja was a house father but i feel like that's wrong benny ninja is a legend in the ball scene you had your house of extravaganza um you have your house of LeBeja.
0: is this where lady gaga gets her house of gaga from because i just assumed it was like a yeah. house of gucci thing
2: no 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 so any of the houses that's where it came from is the ball scene so much of our modern day queer lexicon comes from the underground ball scene so a lot of our sayings a lot of our phrases a lot of our terminology Yes, all comes queen. from like that like slay the house down boots fierce hunty all that sort of stuff all comes from the ball scene now the ball scene is still pretty active today not really so much in australia as far as i'm aware i could be did we wrong. ever
0: have much of a ball scene in australia to your knowledge i don't know to be fair okay. and i
2: don't want to i don't want to comment on it in case i am wrong mm-hmm. i know it's still a prevalent thing in the u.s you know we only really have a pageant we don't have a ball i mean in the major cities like sydney and melbourne there might be i know we threw one in Brisbane I want to say pre-COVID it might have been just after COVID I can't remember I know there was one in Brisbane done by the House of Alexander which is a Brisbane based drag house with predominantly people of colour run by I think it's run by Eleganza who is phenomenal if you've never seen Eleganza she's amazing and I believe you had people like yeah you've got Eleganza you've got Lunatic you've got I feel really bad because I don't know many of the Brisbane performers these days. But there was a—it's a giant group of queer POC um, performers who are continuing on the traditions of the balls and the houses, but localized for Australia. Because the phenomenon around it is so etched in our culture for these days that it's still so prevalent, still such a necessary thing that we that we need like keeping the culture alive.
0: So we're going to jump to the 80s. So drag balls and families were crucial at this point. So this is where we're going to get a little serious now. Oh, yeah. So the 80s drag balls and families, they were crucial to the struggles during the AIDS crisis as people started getting sick and people started dying, spreading many cases through unprotected sex. AIDS ravaged our gay community. Once again, mainstream homophobia had turbocharged and so the gay community had to support themselves. Now, during this time, house mothers educated their drag children about safe sex and they provided healing for the deep emotional trauma of those who were living with AIDS. Drag queens within their queer spaces provided the community with what straight society would not Those drag mothers provided the community with protection, with love and with care.
2: The AIDS epidemic was such a big thing for our community back then. So it was was before I was born, because I was born in 89. But yeah, the AIDS epidemic being so rampant through our community, but that's why movies like Rent are so great at showcasing what that era was like for our community. So AIDS was rampant throughout the entire thing. And it was usually a drag queen that was taking care of others and trying to bring light to a very, very dark era in our history. You had drag queens hosting charity events, hosting fundraisers, hosting vigils. You had drag queens essentially as the forefront, as the beacons of hope for our community to be able to pull through such a horrible Horrible epidemic that killed a vast majority of the queer community. And all because society was not educating queer people on one, safe sex, but also to the horrific nature of what AIDS could do to people. The only way you were learning about AIDS back then was if you found out someone you knew had it and then you got to see exactly what they were going through. There was no talk on how easy it was to catch or how much you had to protect yourself or having countless anonymous partners was putting you at a higher and higher risk. Like gay men constantly cruising out in a park and having casual anonymous sex were at the highest risk because you had no context as to what each of your sexual partners had been exposed to. And it was all all drag queens that were helping bring a lightness and a in a sense of, yeah, like I said, hope to this era. Um, another, sense another great-
0: of family to the, the you know yeah young queer people not just young queer people all the queer people who were affected personally by by HIV and AIDS didn't have a family anymore because so many people were just disowned and I oh, was passed as, out
2: as soon as your family found out that you had AIDS nine times out of ten most of the queer community that had it were kicked out of home and it you know, also comes
0: from the ignorance of the fact that people just they just didn't know how they were going to get it it's not like you're not going to get Cancer. If you hug somebody who has cancer, there was just so much ignorance well, look about at, it.
2: Look at the iconic, the iconic photo that was so so controversial of its time. um Princess Diana shaking the hand mm-hmm. of an AIDS patient, and everyone freaking out, going, "The the princess is going to catch it. The princess is going to catch it." When you can't catch it just from touching someone, and I know there's so many of us growing up as queer kids, where the bullies used to
0: mm-hmm. make jokes
2: about us having AIDS and about us being contagious and, you know, don't, don't touch the queer boy or you catch it sort of thing. The AIDS, the AIDS crisis is still such a stigma and still such a rampant joke when it comes to the queer community. I don't know many drag queens these days that still make AIDS jokes, but I refuse to make an AIDS joke on a microphone or in any sort of public forum, because I just feel like it's not something that you should joke about just because you can, doesn't mean you should.
0: I think as well, like some things are funny. Mm. Some things are just, some things are not funny. Like when you think about the collective, you know, for the queer community and I'm not just talking about gay people, like the trauma that people experienced from, from that, like obviously the people who, who got AIDS and and who lost their lives to it. But then you also think about, you know, the families, the friends, the drag queens, the lesbians, all of the people Mm -hmm. within our community who really stood up and helped when nobody else would. Like there's, it's like a Holocaust joke. Don't, try not to make them.
2: Like, you can make, you can make a joke. Like, I'm very much, I'm very much a believer in so Joan Rivers was one of the big forefronts oh, I of it in, love Jane with the fact that she said that nothing is limits when it comes to a joke mm-hmm. which I, I agree with to an extent but it's all about the way you make a joke and the intent behind the joke if the joke is to make someone feel better in a way of like distraction and like making light of a situation that's fine but if the of the joke is to directly insult and humiliate and make fun of someone, then I feel like that's when it's not appropriate.
1: Hold up.
2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com
0: awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're going to move on from the AIDS epidemic now, and we're going to go and we're going to talk about drag icon who starred in many, uh, many of director John Waters' movies, the icon Divine.
2: She was phenomenal. She was a drag superstar before Drag Superstar was a thing. Have you seen many John Waters films?
0: Crybaby. I love Crybaby. Johnny Depp. I ah, see. So yeah. I was not a fan of Crybaby. I don't know why I loved it so much. I was obsessed. My sister and I were both obsessed with with Crybaby. But... Um... Or
2: were you obsessed with Johnny Depp?
0: Like my sister was. She had a book. I remember it well. There's a particular picture of Johnny Depp, like, in these lights. And he had his, like, scruffy, grungy hair. And he was playing guitar. And I mean... Yeah, it was really about the content of the movie. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. that jailed scene kissing with all the tongues and the... Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit flustered now. Um, um, John Waters, yeah. So, So yes,
0: the iconic drag queen who gave no fucks
2: when she... I'm pretty sure it's the movie Pink Flamingos. Is it? Yes, Pink I'm Flamingos. Sure.
0: I'm i not sure. I just know she did it. I've never seen it.
2: So I'm pretty sure it's in the movie Pink Flamingos, where she eats dog shit, and it's yeah. it's legitimate. Um, like it's not prop. It's not fake. It's legitimate from a dog, because a lot of John Waters films back then were all done for shock factor.
0: Well, that's it. Um, John Waters said about the, the eating of the dog poop that it was done for anarchy and it worked as mm. anarchy.
2: All of his movies were done for shock after like Divine. There's the one where Divine plays.
0: Edna Turnbutt.
2: No, Divine never played Ed, Edna Turnbull.
0: No, she did. Apparently I read this. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. Edna Turnbull in the original version of Hairspray and was the inspiration behind Ursula for Disney's the was- Little Mermaid
2: she was the, uh, the inspiration behind Ursula, but if she played Edna Template on stage, maybe, but in the original oh, yeah. movie, it's uh, the original movie Edna Template is played by Har- Harvey, Harvey not Weinstein, Firestein. but yeah. So divine was the inspiration behind Ursula. And it's um, very
0: clear, isn't it? Like this. <laughs> so oh, I'm denying that.
2: Actually, she was the first choice to voice Ursula as well. Really?
0: Who did because, voice Ursula? Do we know? We don't know. Uh,
2: Pat, Pat Carroll. Um,
0: on a side note, Alyssa Milano was the uh, original inspiration for Ariel, the Little Mermaid, a young Alyssa Milano. All right,
2: which makes sense because Little Mermaid came out in my birth year, uh, so 89. Yeah, so Pat Carroll voiced. So originally, Divine was the inspiration behind Ursula, and they wanted her for the role. And then the studio was like, no, no, it has to be a female. Mm-hmm. And they originally asked B. Arthur, and B. Arthur turned it down. Because do you remember hearing
0: that once upon a time
2: yeah so because be couldn't sing poor unfortunate souls and didn't want someone else singing it instead so it then went to Pat Carroll um huh. who did a phenomenal a phenomenal job with Ursula like for me that voice is Ursula yeah body language
0: also Little Mermaid first movie I ever saw at the cinema my mum took me with my auntie and my cousin uh and I was a tiny tiny baby person
2: I had it on VHS
0: So (laughs) so Vines Explosive (laughs) performance was contagious and it fed into the experimental Manhattan East Village performance scene um, and its annual Wigstock Festival, which was created by Lady Bunny, who was another drag icon who challenged audiences to laugh with her and laugh at her. What do we know about? I'd never heard of Lady Bunny until I was doing this research. you have never heard of Lady Bunny? No. Even i before heard of started, Wigstock, but not even
2: before I, Even before I started drag, I knew who Lady Bunny was. Like, Lady Bunny with the big hair and the dresses and the... Thank you! No, um, still don't know. No, so, because around the same time was... So Divine, Lady Bunny and RuPaul were all in the scene around the same time. Right. That New York scene. So Wigstock, back when RuPaul was very much androgynous and gender bending and playing with all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Wigstock was created as essentially like a giant queer celebration festival we had queer artists performing drag performers performing just countless drug-fueled parties and orgies all the time sounds like a regular monday night thank goodness it's tuesday
0: otherwise this would be a very different podcast kidding my mom
2: is going to listen to this and no i do not take copious amounts of drugs what's your mom's name deborah
0: hey deb's
2: actually i wonder if my sister Lindsay, will be more nervous and worried for me Um, hey
0: linds i've heard stories
2: (laughs) No, so I do not have drug fueled orgies. Um, Anymore. Ever. <laughs> They've never been drug fueled. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, so Wigstock was just this huge celebratory festival. It ran for a few years and I believe was retired and only brought back recently, just pre COVID, I'm pretty sure, because there was a documentary made about it, about it returning. Right. You had Neil Patrick Harris hosting it um yeah you know, wigsock amazing amazing celebration of queer and if i'm wrong on this i apologize please let us know if, if we are at all wrong on anything that we say but unless nice your way, name's
0: karen we you do not yeah, don't
2: do it do you. it in a do it in a nice way like like educate us but not don't be a dick about it like we're trying our best here and I'm doing a lot of this from memory as well
0: and she drinks and a lot guys
2: a lot <laughs> like a lot
0: her memory is short so by the 1990s the world was more ready than ever to make drag queens part of the mainstream it was also in the 90s when we witnessed the discovery of our current queen of the runway Miss RuPaul, who would help change the history of drag in the modern age. Ru's 1993 hit single, Supermodel, You Better Work, shot RuPaul to fame. And soon after, he became the first drag queen to ever become a spokesperson for a major cosmetics company, MAC Cosmetics, and host of their own morning radio show. Sashay,
2: Shanta, you better work. Turn to the left, work. Now turn to the right, work. RuPaul, you better Mm. work. So that was actually, yeah, like I said, that was one of my first experiences into drag. Was RuPaul through very Brady and through? I actually remember hearing and watching, you know, supermodel you better work, and not realizing it was a man.
0: I see. I like that we brought this up, and I like that you just went back to uh, the Brady Brady Bunch movies with RuPaul because I was going to mention this earlier, and I was like, "Mm, I know we're going to get there, so I'll keep it. But Mm. my first experience with drag queens and realizing that. It was a drag queen situation, was ugh, whatever year it came out, like 94, 95, it would have been like. Say, 90. 10,
2: yeah, around then. Yep.
0: Um, was two Wong Fu, which we touched on briefly in the last one. The sugar Babes. I think. The Sugar Babes. Yeah. So I love the Sugar Babes. They're freaks like me, but. Oh, I love that song. I know it's so cool. You're giving, me, that- you're giving me Heidi from the Sugar Babes vibes now. She oh, was yeah. the replacement to the ginger one when she left back in the day. Yeah,
2: not, not the Freak Like Me, not the original. It needs to be the danceful one.
0: We digress. So my first experience with drag queens was my sister and I, when we were tiny, tiny people, my parents and like a Friday night or it was, and they went to the local video store, Jumbo Video in WA, and got two Wong Fu. And there was this, I feel like, and I could be wrong in remembering this, my memory could be wrong, but I feel like my dad was like, oh no, kids can't watch it, like drag queens. And I think mom and dad might've watched it first before they yep. let us watch it. And they were like, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, it's fun. It's just a fun, mm-hmm. fun movie. And I was like, at the beginning, I know you said you haven't seen it, so please fix that. But uh, <laughs> at the beginning, it's like- actually. Just okay. really
2: quickly, so my housemate, I showed him a little clip of all the stuff that you sent me after last week's episode, and he looked at me and he's like, "You haven't seen Wu Wong Fu?" I was like, "No," and he's like, "Bad gay." He's like, "But actually, I haven't seen it either, and I've been too afraid to tell you that I haven't seen it because I thought you would call me a bad gay."
0: <laughs> drag <laughs> gay? like, come on. So in the, in like the opening scenes, it's a drag pageant, and Chichi Rodriguez, who's played by John, Le- I can't Le- pronounce Le- your Le- last Le- name, and I've leg played... Le-
2: Leguizumo, Legu- Legu-
0: <laughs> the guy from um Mario Brothers do you remember the Mario Brothers Did you... okay that's yeah, yeah
2: he played he played Luigi but he also yeah. played Tybalt in uh Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet yes and he also voices Bruno in the most recent Disney movie Encanto
0: and he is a voice in Ice Age too um and he's also in some really good like action-packed shoot-em-up movies so First thing, my sister and I, we watched this movie and it was the first time I'd ever seen RuPaul. And RuPaul comes down at this drag pageant and it's made very clear in the opening that it's drag. Like you've got Patrick Swayze putting on makeup. You've got Wesley Snipes putting on makeup and they were taught to put on the makeup by their wives.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do remember seeing something about this. Doesn't RuPaul wear a giant Confederate flag as a dress?
0: Mm -hmm. And she comes down from the ceiling on a giant swing. uh, To me, like even as like a little kid, I was like, oh my god that's so amazing and you know she comes on the stage and there's there's a couple of points here we're gonna we're gonna touch on kids firstly i didn't know that that was a man in a dress i didn't realize that was a drag queen and i was just like oh she's gorgeous like what a what a beautiful mm-hmm. lady and second of all this ridiculously muscled man comes up on the stage like this to present the award and he's got like chains around him because you know queer culture fun and we're all about the letter iconic line is it she goes if there's a snowstorm tonight He's going home on my tires. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is so much fun. <laughs> I'm 10. And <laughs> it was it was so much fun. And it has, like, the, such a great cast, such a great movie. You definitely need to watch it.
2: You go back and watch a very Brady movie and a very Brady sequel now. I can picture it. I can
0: remember it. Like, he's just very feminine, very nice. But um, he had
2: that giant black afro. Yeah, yeah. And you go back and you look at it now and you're just like, oh, that's very clearly a wig. And you're like, <laughs> oh, that's very clearly a man. Um, <laughs> But back then, you're like, oh, okay. But even, okay, so RuPaul was also in the music video for Love Shack, the B-52s, dancing around as a background dancer. But yeah, RuPaul coined the term supermodel of the world because prior to RuPaul, models were never called supermodels. Um, models were just called models. The and term was, supermodel. So
0: this was from RuPaul's song. Okay.
2: Yeah, so the term supermodel was coined from RuPaul, but RuPaul was a first for essentially for the queer movement and the fact that he was the first ever mainstream queer artist that was openly celebrated and accepted because prior to that I can't think of a single gay celebrity that was open and actively celebrated drag queens... in the
0: 90s? well in the 90s let me tell you in the 90s drag queens became less of a punchline and new movies like the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Tu Wong Fu, Thanks with oh. Julie Newmore, pictured drag queens in a more flattering light. And then in 09, RuPaul premiered the reality competition, RuPaul's Drag Race. Now, before we touch on RuPaul's Drag Race, being Australian, being an Australian podcast, being an Australian queer podcast, I feel like we might just need to touch on Priscilla.
2: I was gonna say, I'm like, can we at least can we at least talk about Priscilla a little bit before we get into drag race?
0: Um, we did have cock on a frock. On a pod as a our, our statement piece from last week, which you appreciated, oh and I appreciated great. it. You appreciated it.
2: Oh, great! Just what we need—another cock in a frock on a rock.
0: Again, in the '90s, Priscilla, I remember watching Rage and the music video for "I
2: Will Survive" or "I Love the Nightlife."
0: I love the nightlife would come on, and it had Hugo Weaving. Yes, yeah, and... yeah, great. And it had mm. Hugo weaving and he was putting it, it, on the makeup and get you know, and he, in the music. No, no, no. Oh, wait, he leaves he his family. On, no, He's so he drag.
2: wasn't putting on, he wasn't putting in the makeup. He was slowly turning into his drag <gasps> persona. And yes. like, it was freaking him out because he was doing little things and he was like putting his arm in a shot and then pulling it back. And all of a sudden he had like nails and legs on. he was freaking out. That's and right. then all of a sudden he was wearing heels and like fishnets and he was going, oh, what the hell? And I specifically
0: then, remember him walking out the door in drag with his kids sitting there going,
2: huh? Because yeah, he all of a sudden turns into this, uh, was he a bus driver? I feel like he was a bus driver
0: sounds familiar
2: but yeah he turned into this glamorous drag version of himself but Priscilla yeah so Priscilla it played such a huge role in taking drag mainstream it's I'm pretty sure it was an academy award nominated film I don't think we won anything for it first time an Australian film got such international attention but also to first time that drag got such a light shone on it in a way that wasn't negative or derogatory or made us the butt of a joke I mean there was lots of jokes aimed at drag queens in it but it was done in a done in a way to paint us in a better light and show that you know you can have drag queens that have kids and want to support their kids and drag queens that live normal lives and I mean it was a shame that none of the cast were queer people they were all heterosexual even trans character Bernadette played by a heterosexual actor speaking of which the most recent production of Priscilla that's going to happen on the Gold Coast here has for the first time a transgender performer. for Portraying the role of Bernadette previously has always been portrayed by a straight male. We've got legendary performer from Adelaide, Bonnie Britt Watkins, portraying Bernadette in it. You've got Carlotta that's also a part of this production, but she's not a major role in it. But yeah, like it's taken that long for someone to portray, like a trans person, to portray a trans person in a trans role. Are you um, going to go see it? 100%. I'm good friends with the director, Matt Ward. Um, oh, great.
0: We'll go see so, it together then. Yeah, I want to go like see the star. Yeah, let's go there. I'm going to go not, drag. I've not seen anything at the star since I saw Altino Arena pre-COVID
2: Priscilla amazing showcase uh, it, obviously still problematic for its time like watching it back now because you obviously had the Asian performer doing the mm-hmm. Hong Kong show which these days would not be acceptable to do but otherwise showed us in an amazing light and the fact that the town of Broken Hill has accepted the fact that it was such an iconic part of history especially with the queer community and that's why they now have the Broken Hill Festival every year where it's like a pilgrimage for drag queens to travel from Sydney to Broken Hill, and they have a festival that lasts several days out there, and it's an amazing time. I'm still yet to go, it's on my bucket list to do in the next couple of years. I believe we're now up to drag
0: race. We are. So, in 2009, RuPaul premiered Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, for the first time. Audiences around the world were now able to see some of America's top drag queens perform in the comfort of their own homes every week. Over 100 drag queens have featured on the show bringing with them bigger conversations around issues that affect the LGBTQIA community such as gender identity, HIV, relationships, intercommunity community discrimination and mental health For all to see today, drag queens are able to build incredible careers and following through social media, live performances, YouTube, podcasts, Netflix specials, appearances, and so much more. RuPaul and Drag Race really did, let's say, level up Mm -hmm. drag in in the mainstream media.
2: So I remember watching season one uh, back when it was on Lifestyle U here in Australia on Foxtel. So back in 2009. So I've I've essentially been watching drag race from the very first season, from the very first episode when it was first on air, not repeat, not reruns. several years later, not streaming it now and going back and watching season one, although I have done that recently. But I remember watching it the very first season and going, oh, this is fun. This is camp. I was freshly out at that time, but I remember sitting down and watching it with friends of mine and they're like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting because it was a whole different thing to what we'd ever seen before. I still had very limited exposure to drag back then as a, what are we? 2009, I would have been 20. So I had very limited experience in the drag realm and knowing what a drag queen was and knowing all about drag. So it gave me a nice little insight into the art of drag and the realm of drag. I remember having my first ever favorites watching the show. So I loved Angina and I loved Rebecca Glasscock, which is a sacrilegious thing to say, I know, because she was the villain of the season.
0: I don't remember Um, any of the season one. I didn't watch Drag Race for years. Where did you start? Do you know, this is unpopular opinion. I'm ready to be hated. I watched Drag Race. For the first time, not for the drag or for the race, but for the guest who my good friend Rose McGowan. When was she on it? Oh my god! I mean, it was a while ago. Like it was before Hollywood shunned her. And I watched because she was a guest, and it wasn't anything more than you know. I just loved Rose, and that, that's how I got into Drag Race. I watched, right. I watched it because Rose was on it, and I was like, I would, just yep. like, I just wanted to see her, and I was like, she looks cute, and you know, RuPaul's fun, and it's all going to be fun, and it was it was all very fun
2: it was it was it was like the first few seasons were amazing like I was obsessed I mean I still am obsessed I watch I literally watch every episode I'll be completely honest I watch every episode of the English speaking ones only because one of my big things is you can't so again going back to what I said about you can't convey things in text a lot of the nuances and a lot of the jokes and a lot of whatever they're discussing is lost in translation while yes I can read everything that's written and obviously if they're laughing I can go oh that's a joke
0: but you're not getting. But nuances and correct
2: yeah. correct it's the same as to how for example whenever we watch anything that's British humor unless you are a fan of British humor you're not going to get the the joke in the way that they intend it to same with yeah. Aussie humor yeah. I find Aussie humor and British humor are very very similar very dry depending on the comedian and the context of the joke but yeah unless you're a fan of this specific style of humor you're not going to get the context and the nuances and the hubris of the of the joke but yeah dry grace really like I loved it in the first couple of seasons I do find that when it started to go fully mainstream was so season six was when it really started to take off so seasons one through five were still very much a small time show all those queens are still beloved but you find that a lot of fans these days have not watched anything prior to say season nine or ten and they might go back and re-watch them if anything they've all watched season six with like Bianca Del 301 when Courtney Act was on mm-hmm. the show do you know um, I was only
0: last year old when Courtney Act released her book, Caught in the Act, that I realised yep. that her name was a play on Caught in the Act. Oh,
2: I didn't realise until just a couple of years ago either. Yeah, I you know. D- she was just like, Courtney in the Act, yeah, cool. And everyone's like, oh, you have to say it in an Aussie accent to get it, like Caught in the Act. I'm like, I'm an Aussie and I didn't understand it.
0: <laughs> so with Drag Race, some of the community's biggest issues still remain for example drag races come under the microscope for giving queens of color less praise than their white contestants and these queens are also often targeted by internet trolls because of their ethnicity drag race has also been critiqued for pushing a narrow representation of what drag is, for example, celebrating queens which are hyper-feminine and not casting any drag kings. We do need to acknowledge what drag race has done for drag, but we also need to continue to evolve beyond and outside of the show. So, so
2: that's that is a massive thing. If you go back and watch, there was a documentary done a couple of years ago called Work the World, where it was talking with a lot of the drag race queens that were on the tour called Work the World, and there is There's one black queen, Asia O'Hara, that was discussing about how she would be in a meet and greet and people would be lining up to have photos with the pretty white queens that were on the tour with her. And there'd be almost no one in her meet and greet or about how people would be standing there for photos with the queens and then ask her to step out Mm. and be like, can you not be in the photo, please? I just want a photo with these ones. So she felt very ostracized by the drag race so one thing i want to precursor all this by saying is that drag fan and drag race fan are not synonymous and not one of the same drag fans support and enjoy all assets and all factors and all nature of drag as a art form drag race fans are fans of the tv show they are the ones that you will never see supporting local drag artists they're the ones that you'll never see the local gig they're ones that you'll only see when a drag race queen comes to town to do a show they'll be right there supporting it they won't talk to any local queens they won't get photos of local queens they won't do anything to support the local community the drag race fandom is a complete separate entity they think they know about drag but they know about drag race and drag race and drag are two very separate things It is true that certain types of drag are more celebrated on Drag Race than others. So your beauty queens, your fashion queens are more celebrated because they make for a more visually appealing aesthetic, as opposed to your more creative, quirky, avant-garde queens, because they're always done as misunderstood queens on the show. The one thing that I think a lot of people need to try and remember, which they typically in my experience, they tend to forget, is that Drag Race is a heavily produced reality TV show. It is not reality it is a reality tv show again those two things are not synonymous with each other reality tv and reality are two very different things so a heavily produced reality tv show they're focusing on characters and storylines and what makes more sense for the narrative that they're trying to push drag race started off as a drag competition it is now a reality tv show it's no longer what it used to be i know a lot of queens that have said that they will never attempt to audition or go on drag race purely because of what it's turned into me personally I still would mainly just because for me for the art of drag for what I want to do and that's to be able to perform full-time and be doing this as my main job the best way of achieving that is to get on drag race that's how you get bookings and that's how you get internationally yeah. booked and do tours and travels and tv shows and I mean I radio, feel like and...
0: being on excuse me I have something to say really gets your foot in the door oh absolutely I mean get this
2: get this podcast some notice and some global exposure and hopefully I'll get some cast on some drag Race. you know it'll open it'll be the thing that opened the door for me
0: could you imagine Here's an unscripted question for you. Yeah. We've had Drag Race in its evolution to to what it is now, from where it started to where it is now. And it's been nearly 15 years or something. Like where does mainstream drag representation go from here? Like, obviously you've got queens who were on Drag Race who were kind of doing their own thing. Some of it's in the mainstream. You've got Trixie Mattel releasing singles and she's got a new makeover, Mm -hmm. like house makeover TV show that's coming or is here in the States. I don't know. You've got obviously Courtney Act has been around for a long time here in Australia and she's do the infomercials and she's represented and very much ingrained into Australian drag culture. Mm-hmm. But where does drag drag evolve to after RuPaul's Drag Race airs its final show?
2: So I definitely think once RuPaul's Drag Race has run its course there will be something else that will take its place. There will be another TV show. There'll be another reality TV show. There'll be another reality TV competition that will take its place. It won't be Drag Race, but it'll be something similar. I think for us, drag going mainstream a lot of the queens that leave Drag Race depending on their avenue and their niche that they carve out for themselves, like you've got fashion queens like Violet Chachki and Miss Fame from the show that now work actively in the burlesque and the fashion industries respectively so like Violet Chachki is constantly doing burlesque shows and Violet and Aquaria were the first ever drag queens to attend the Met Gala in full drag, like you've got Miss Fame that's constantly over in Europe doing stuff with Vogue and with Elle magazine and doing fashion runways and all that sort of stuff so they're in that sort of mainstream industry then you've got people like Bianca Del Rigo who's constantly touring as a active working comedian and then you're right you've got people like Trixie Mattel and Delano that are releasing music and Trixie going into more television.
0: In 2018 we've got shows like Dragula which plays on the drag race formula and then we have shows like Pose um, which have become more present representing drag before drag race and showcase different styles of drag. And in 2022, I personally believe that the future is bright. For our queens.
2: So the best thing was the fact that Dragula came to showcase a, all the different aspects of drag that Drag Race doesn't showcase. So you had drag kings, you had assigned female at birth performers, um, you had freak show drag, you had hairy drag, you had all these different drag aspects that Drag Race doesn't really feature on Dragula, which was great. And then The TV show Pose got to really showcase, this is going back now to when we were just discussing about the ballroom scene. Pose was a great TV show showcasing early days of the drag ballroom scene and exactly the type of things that those performers and those people living in that era went through. Yeah, those sorts of shows are great, especially for our queer community. And then you've got other queer shows, stuff like Your Love Victors. At least these days we're making more queer movies that are more relative to us as opposed to like you're eating out and you're in another game <laughs> movies and like Remember remember when those were all the queer movies we could have were dirty like gay hey, they person still, fuck a, gay they, person trying to fuck a straight person movie.
0: They still have their place in, in history and in the history oh, I, books
2: absolutely they're they're just they're not they're very cringe worthy watches these days. Yes. Like back then they were amazing, but these days you go to watch it and you're just like,
0: Oh Well, when you get such great Ooh. representation now of of queer characters and that they're fully fleshed mm-hmm. people who have real life experiences that are relatable not just to queer people but there's some of their experiences are so relatable to to everybody else as well you go back and you do you watch those eating out movies and things and you're just like oh it's trash
2: we're getting all of this queer representation these days which is great for us because it's showing that we are moving in the right direction forward that we're getting a sense of normality to the fact that we're here we are a part of society you can, you can show stories about us and it's
0: okay. So we're going to wrap it up and I'm going to say drag culture has a diverse and complex history, and it's almost impossible to do it any form of justice. You know, talking in this, what we've spoke about in this episode, we've only scraped to the tip of the iceberg with this episode. Drag is more than a drag race. And now that it is embedded in the mainstream, we need to explore more diversity, and more representation within that community. Miss Microphone, you are a literal queen. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. And thank you so much for getting drunk with me last week. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: thank you, for, thank you for having me. I was excited when you asked if I would come back on. And I'm so I mean, glad you to, We've been trying to tee this up for a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. I'm glad that it finally aligned both last week and this week. I just apologize that we got too drunk last week and had to essentially, <laughs> more or less, do a reshoot this week.
0: Pretty much at the second half. The second half, we had to do reshoots. Um, Maya, please tell the people one more time where they can catch you performing on the Gold Coast and where they can follow you.
2: So you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Maya Crufone, It's M Y A. C-R-A-F-O-N-E Stop with an F because it's spelled Crapone with a P-H It looks like crap home. You can also catch me every single Tuesday to Hosting trivia at Fat Freddy's in Broadbeach. Beach uh, Free to play a couple of hours of general pub knowledge trivia You can catch me every second Wednesday At NAMI here in Burley uh, we do themed trivias every single, every second week. So today, catch me at Nami and Burley. And I believe today's probably going to be an 80s themed trivia. Don't hold me to that because that changes on a whim. But two weeks ago it was Office,
1: which is
2: actually <laughs> I have other gigs in the pipelines that are slowly in the works coming up. So more of those details will come. But actually, oh, if you want to catch me and you're in the Brisbane slash Ipswich area. Yeah, Saturday, the 16th of July, I'll be performing out at Taboo in Ipswich. So come on to that family-friendly
0: show. Oh, Maya, you are amazing. I love you so much and thank you so much. No,
2: thank you. I've I've had so much fun doing this again. I can't wait to get drunk on on podcasts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, guys, that is a wrap on Untucked, our two-part special into the history of drag and queer culture. Hope you guys all learned something over these past two episodes. All of Maya's social links will be in the show notes for you, so go give her a follow and look after yourselves. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.